nice and sharp. All we know is a lie! <laughs> and the truth has been paid for in blood! <laughs> Calvin Kemp with uh, TwinGeeks.com here with Jesse Blanchard. Uh, I saw your wonderful new uh, puppeteer film, um, Frank and Zed at Fantasia, and I, I was really touched just by the practical effects of it all and the um, the tactile feel of the puppets and uh, just something so handcrafted at the festival. Um, so much of modern movies are uh, uh, a little bit too much uh, influenced by computers. So for me, uh, something so practical and uh, and from a Portland uh, company, as you guys are from Portland, uh, we're a Pacific Northwest outlet ourselves. Uh, I'm in Seattle up here, so uh, very glad to have you on here. Well, thanks for having me. Well, um, after being so touched by it, I just wanted to reach out and uh, run through some questions. So um, Frank and Zed really makes some allusions to the storied history of horror movies and creative invention at cinema. Um, what was the impetus for adapting kind of Frankenstein into a puppet story? I mean, I think Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is just like one of the most compelling pieces of literature, the way it's written, the character is so rich, you know, the story is so rich. Um, I don't even, I mean, I, I feel like I'm doing like a pale, shadow of an echo you know, of the book to a point where it's I you know I it's not like they're they're nowhere in the same league um but I think the one of the big things that I love about the book her book is is like the humanity and kind of the and and that was one of the big things that like with Frank that was really important for me is that I wanted hopefully to have not just like um this monster with a heart of gold that is like this perfect, you know, soul and perfect thing that just happens to look a little different. I wanted to do a character that was really actually a monster, you know, by, you know, at least some definition of, you know, um, and that was absolutely informed by the book. It feels like a special opportunity. So uh, you said you brought some puppets with you. Do you have a, the ones from the actual production or a, what, what do you yeah. have today? I got, I got a couple here. Let's see. We got Kevin. I'm so excited. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. You ready? Oh. Hi, Calvin. Hi. Hello there in TV land. How's it going? Fantastic. Um, wait, wait. Who's the babe <laughs> behind you? Uh, this one on the wall here. Um, oh, with Apple. Oh, that must be Eve. <laughs> Take a bite, Eve. <laughs> and who's that guy over your other shoulder? The little squat guy. <laughs> Any tiny itty. He's smaller than I am. By the way, he does look a, a little bit bigger than I imagined from a from the movie. I, I wonder how you shoot them so that they're in perspective. Uh, so for perspective, so here's one guy, right? Yeah. 
and here's Grog. <laughs> wow. Yeah, much larger than expected. Yeah. Um, so basically, um, I had a theory on perspective. Yeah. And that was, it didn't matter. Okay. And that, and that really, we could blow apart the perspective. And as long as like the story was moving and, the, and everything just kind of, as long as things were like introduced the right way, etc that no one would care and in fact i made grog grog is bigger is like an eight foot puppet mm -hmm. and then these guys are two and a half feet and i did that specifically because i was like i don't think it matters and i'm gonna see and i mean they have to be big enough because you have to puppeteer them right someone has to have their hand in them or uh, uh, control them by some mechanism so how do you design the puppets so you're able to properly control them and did you find any issues that you're running into with that yeah, actually, part of what we did was to design the puppets and write the whole film. Everything was actually done as if it's not a puppet. Mm. And I did that really specifically because the film is always like going to be a, a, a film that just happens to be made with puppets. It's not a puppet film. And so, for instance, um, both of our main characters, Frank and Zed, so I've got Zed here. Um, this wasn't really on purpose. Or, 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 you know, or maybe it was my subconscious, like just making my life hard, you know, but both of our main characters, a big part of their headspace is taken up. Like oh, yeah. Zed's wow. is actually empty. Like that's where the puppeteer should be. And we have all the eye mechanisms and things like that. And with Frank, it's water. So sure. we actually designed both of the puppets, you know, around these like massive problems. So both Frank and Zed, you're actually, instead of doing like this, which is where a traditional puppet would be, your hand is actually much more limited and you have to do, even with both of them, you actually have to do a little bit of reverse engineering where the, the mouth is coming down this way and you're pushing up because there's still little space. This project took you over six years, correct? Um, wow. It seems like one of those things, as I read your other interviews and all, all your uh, pieces from Kickstarter, where it's also something where you say six years and then it becomes seven or more. Um, <laughs> Uh, developing a film that's so tactile over that long of a period, do you like discover new techniques and are you constantly going back and like trying to rewrite like your earlier uh, work on it because you've figured out new ways to shoot it. And uh, um, as you're more experienced and your team's more experienced, are you guys constantly revi revising your work or how's that working? Yeah, there's absolutely, there, you know, the puppets give you lots of chance for revision. So one of the best examples is the opening of the film. So, um, this stained glass here actually is the whole opening of the film. And originally it opened with just a push in on the stained glass and the narrator kind of told you everything. And one of the things I realized was it was just boring, you know? And I was like, we got to be there when the Maroi is attacking. We need to see the God of death. We need to see all this stuff actually happening. Um, and because it was puppets and because, you know, we had the time I was able and, and, it, and we did it all in the stained glass specifically because I was like, it's too epic. How am I possibly going to do like this village attack and a God of death? How could I, how could I possibly do that with puppets? Like no way. But then you get to a point in the film where I was like, well, how could I possibly open this film with like this boring snoozeville, like history lesson? Like it needs to be dynamic. So that was absolutely one of the things. And, and, that you know, we looked at in the film. And by then we had learned a lot of the techniques that the intro introduction needed, but there's always invention because I never want to repeat myself. So for instance, in the opening, 
you know, coming up with the God of death, which is that green kind of thing in the beginning, you know, that's all practical. There's no CGI. And so meeting the challenge of coming up with like a real practical effect that's going to make this God of death, this demon, and not mm. look really stupid and kind of laughable was a big challenge, but it was super fun. It was neat seeing before even the film that the one that took you to, you guys two weeks to put together and, and just that complete evolution over time. Uh, what was your history of film? Were you always working with puppets and what brought you to them? No, I was, um, I did my own kind of just traditional narrative films for almost 10 years, but they always kind of fell apart at the end. Um, and so really at one point I said, okay, what am I going to do that's different? Like, how can I have better control? Mm -hmm. And I live in Portland, Oregon. We have this phenomenal animation scene. So I said, well, what about puppets? What if I really leaned into what this town has? Um, and so just as an experiment, I made Shine, the barbershop piece. And it was so much fun. I was like, all right, let's do another one. So I did another kind of bigger uh, short film. And then we launched into Franken's Egg. Is there, you say there's the great animation community, of course, in Portland, they have like Leica and uh, um, several other studios. They're pretty prominent. And um, would you say there's a puppet filmmaker community? Um, how are today's puppeteers connected? Are they? Yeah, I mean, there's a community. So it's like, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a small community and you get to know them all pretty quickly. I mean, Franken's Ed was done almost exclusive. You had a small core team that was just complimented by kind of people that would come in for a day or two. And many, many uh, of the puppeteers in Portland, of course, came through and did a couple of days on Franken's Ed to help with the big battle scenes or some of the more complex stuff. So it was really, I was really fortunate. People like um, Tim Juni and Nancy Aldrich. And then of course there's uh, Steve Overton and Marty Richmond who are absolute kind of stalwarts here in the, in the Portland uh, puppeteering community were really instrumental in, in getting this there's the, that big battle scene that you mentioned. It takes up a, a large portion of the film over the over six years. How much of that was in that battle scene? And what were the challenges of actually pulling something off that, that took this long with puppets and trying to keep that um, expressive and uh, interesting on a film? Yeah, so the, the battle scene, you know, in a lot of ways went relatively quickly. It took about three months to do. Um, the vast majority of the film. And in fact, most of the film was actually done in about eight months. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that full six years included like making the miniatures and raising funds and making, you know, and the Franken's Ed puppets took a full year just to make those, you know, and also a lot of this film was kind of stretched out as we're doing paid work and other things, you know, it's not, unfortunately and fortunately, we weren't like working on it every day for six years, of course, right? Yeah. Um, but it is a real challenge kind of like keeping it going and keeping the energy and one of the biggest things with the film is every single shot kind of getting into a mode where I say like, like I always imagine the film cause it's all illusion, right? right. Like a puppet is not real and they're not standing. Like none of it is real. And I always imagine every shot, we have to keep that illusion alive. So one of the big challenges is always kind of coming to the set, working on a shot and making sure like, Hey, we don't want it to fail. This, this shot is just as important as every other shot. And that was one of the things that was like really fun and also a real challenge is just making sure that we kept that high level kind of um, every single step of the way. 
there's also a long storied history of puppetry and puppets being used in movies. Um, yeah. Going back from like the Fritz Lang picture, you look at like Metropolis and the robot and then uh, the Czech filmmakers and then Henson's beloved, of course. But uh, what were the influences on the project? And did you reach back into any of the history and uh, watch any of those films? You know, I didn't watch very much mm-hmm. specifically to, you know, after watching Frank and Zed, you know, um, but I think a lot of it's just kind of absorbed. I mean, I'd see, I've already seen those many, that, those films. Of course. You know, I think the big, one of the biggest influence in, in terms of Henson was actually kind of the nature of the, uh, of the feel, you know, kind of the tone and also really specifically making all the characters real. Like, I think that's one of the things that people don't talk about with Henson a lot is that, you know, Miss Piggy and Kermit and Gonzo, all of these characters are done as if they're real characters. You don't see the puppeteering. You don't see the puppeteers. It's never a joke that they're puppets. You know, it's mm-hmm. all of the comedy comes from them being real characters. And I think that was absolutely one of the biggest influences on me is I said, you know, we're going to do everything for real. We're going to go for real emotion. We're going to see, like, can we actually make people scared? Can we actually make people feel for these characters? Can we, how real can we make it? And I think that was like one of the biggest legacies that, that Henson gave us. You achieved it for me. I was very endeared by the puppets. <laughs> uh, just the whole runtime. I'm, I'm very fond of them and very happy to be doing this. Uh, and how do you specifically make them show personality? Uh, how do you take a puppet and then give it character and then make that really conceivable for an audience to believe in? There's a lot of things that have to happen. So you have to have a story, you know, so a lot of it just comes in the writing. Then there's the performance. The performance, of course, is like really critical, you know, and then there's lots of like little things like, um, like, like our guy, Kevin here. Ah. Huh? Oh. Ah. You know, so that <laughs> can give you a lot of expression, just the, the uh, eyebrows, right? Right. Um, but then beyond that, the other thing that you do, and then there's the voice, and then lastly, it's the camera move. So what the camera is doing is very, very important in this film. But it's really, it's using all of those things. And then lastly, there's music, because the music by Michael Richard Plowman is just absolutely phenomenal. But, so the answer is, to get the characters and the puppets to convey emotion, you have to do everything, you have to use every single trick that you have as a filmmaker, you know, to really get them, to bring them to life. Um, we're always hearing stories about difficult actors. How about difficult puppets? <laughs> what, what were the biggest challenges? Did any of them fall apart? Did you have to remodel things? Um, maybe there were some mechanisms that didn't quite work. Uh, what was the difficulty there? Yeah, so um, Frank and Zed are, are very challenging puppets. You mm-hmm. know, they're so technical. Um, and it would take up to five different people to bring Frank and Zed to life. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, because you have... That's incredible. Um, yeah, because you have, for instance, like here's Zed, right? Here, so you have a puppeteer doing this, and you have his hands, then you have somebody doing a mechanism to move the fingers back and forth, and then you also have somebody with a mechanism to do his eyes. And oh, well, so yeah. all of those characters, you know, all those puppeteers have to work, and it's the same with Frank, all those puppeteers have to work in perfect sync. You know, so there's a shot that I'm really proud of where, where Frank like chops a guy's head off and both hands is like, ah, and he kind of looks, I mean, and that is, you know, five, 
<laughs> moving in perfect unison and also walking together, you know, so it's like incredibly challenging. And then aside from that, the other puppet that was really, really difficult is Grog. Ah, because Grog, the way you operate Grog is he's actually a big kind of costume and one person is doing the mouth and somebody else is doing the hands. And so mm. you have two people in this kind of bear hug, like bringing it to life and they're both blind. They cannot see anything. And there's shots of Grog running around. You know, that was, that was the big thing is like, I, I wrote and shot everything to, to try and eliminate all of those issues or, 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 or as if those issues didn't exist. So whatever the puppet couldn't do, I was like, okay, that's what, that's what it has to do. Right. Or else we know it's a yeah. puppet. Um, yeah. Um, running a crowdfunding campaign kind of changes the nature of how you're making things into a one-to-one -one interaction with the audience. But um, did that add any distinct challenges or a, um, what are the challenges and benefits of having that direct communication and delivering to an audience? It's just fun. I mean, that's the best part of it. It's like, it's really, you get that immediate feedback and you get people who are along for the ride. And that really is, can at times like really help you going. One of the big, um, one of the biggest challenges I had with Frank and said, is that we integrated like all the backers names into mm -hmm. the set and things like that. And that has been like really fun. I don't know if I have an example kind of right here. Um, but the, oh, actually, well, no. Anyways, but the challenge um, is delivering all those assets. So that's, that's been the trade-off for me is like the more custom it is, the more personalized, the more individualized it is, just the amount of effort goes up, you know, the amount of work of delivering. So that's a bit of the dance that I'm doing kind of now, um, but it's been amazing. I mean, our backers are like incredible. They've been so patient. They've been so generous. We could not have made this film without them. So it's really, um, I mean, it's, it's not even really a trade-off. It's just like that, that's what, you know, that's what we were able to do for them. And, and they have done so much for us. It's just really been incredible. How's uh, Fantasia going? Is it, I bet it's a little bit different finishing your film going into a pandemic and then uh, trying to launch around that uh, in virtual and uh, um, hybrid festivals. How's your experience with uh, both of those? And, um, and how's your experience with Fantasia? How's your festival? <laughs> Fantasia has been great. I mean, it's really an incredible festival. There's like so much support from them, really personal attention. You know, um, I've been in contact with, I think at least seven different people all kind of talking about the film. So Fantasia has just been a phenomenal partner. You know, virtual is a challenge. I mean, the, one of the, you know, the reality is like, I'm sitting where I had my world premiere, you know, <laughs> <Right>. my <laughs> world premiere, you know, just me. So that of course is, very different, you know, but I'm still incredibly fortunate. I got to make my film. The film is out in the world, you know, is it the perfect whatever? Of course not, but let that, mm. that's not life, you know? So I think it's also, you know, allowed other people to see the film that may not have seen it, you know? So I think it's, it's like anything there's, there's, there's trade-offs, you know? Um, it is a film that's meant to be watched with the audience. You know, one of my big fears is, you know, I've got these lead characters that like don't talk and right. you know, the whole first part of the film is supposed to be telling the audience how boring their lives are. Well, that's like a, a risky thing to do. Like, Hey, let me show you how boring this stuff is. You know, yeah, you might need them trapped in the theater to kind of get through that message. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what the collective experience of like watching the film with you is just so much better. And then yeah. one, 
laughs in that, you know, you have, so you don't have that, that, and that's, you know, that's a bummer, but it's also, it just is what it is. I mean, you can't do anything about it. You know? Have you been able to premiere the film? Have you been able to go to a theater and watch it with an audience? We've had a couple like sneak kind of preview screenings, which have been like amazing. So much fun. Like it's, you see it with like a big crowd the entire time laughing at stuff that like I didn't even think was funny and of course laughing at like big stuff and and then we get to the orgy of blood watching that with the crowd is like so much fun sure um thank you so much for your time Jesse and uh very glad to be covering your film here and uh, to speak with you this is a fun show and tell thank you so much you're welcome thanks for having me